0: recap from my monthly community feminist book club at Café Con Libros, a feminist bookstore in Brooklyn. I'm Kalima DeSouz, the owner of Café Con Libros, and your hosts. So as you all may know, the person who chose the book is my co-host for the month. Here with me today is Shristi Nath. Mm -hmm. Hi, Shristi. Hi, Kalima. How
1: are you? I'm fantastic. Good. (laughs) Tell us a little bit about about who you are. My name is Frishti, like you mentioned. I live in Brooklyn and I've been living in this area for about three-ish years. Mm -hmm. I From the Northeast kind of area, I used to work as a strategy consultant. I quit my job about a month and a half ago. And now I'm a free-floating, free-loving, free-thinking feminist book club member. (laughs) So obviously you identify as a feminist. Oh, absolutely. Oh, lovely. And what is your coming a feminist consciousness story? It's complicated um, mm-hmm. because, well, I'm a Libra and mm-hmm. I don't know if like you know this about Libras in general, but we're very diplomatic. Mm-hmm. So I had this mentality of, oh, you know, I'm not a feminist because it has such bad connotations um, growing up. and But I was always like, oh, but I'm uh, here for equality between sexes. And I didn't really have anyone, you know, to tell me that, like, that's exactly the same thing, like. That's exactly it. Yeah. So a couple of things happened to me. One was my discovery of Tumblr, which is a social media platform for people sort of on the fringe of, (laughs) uh, quote unquote fringe of society, basically meaning like non-white males, where they talk a lot about like, feminist themes in media and art and how it affects their daily lives and their experience with it and their interaction with it, which was really cool because, like I said, like, um, I so I actually moved here from India when I was 10, mm-hmm. so didn't really have much of a community or, like, people to look up to mm-hmm. um, that provided that kind of guidance. And two, um, I entered the corporate world after college, which was shocking to me I was talking to my mom actually recently about how I became like such a feminist and she was like <laughs> changed when he joined finance like <laughs> there was a stark moment because like I all of the injustice of like being a woman was thrown in my face so starkly there that right. I think that resistance started to build of like no this isn't right even though like I worked in a workplace that calls itself extremely like liberal for mm-hmm. finance it's not necessarily the case so both of those like sort of converged and i was like very much a feminist and a lot of opinions about that actually. yeah you are yeah you <laughs> yeah are. absolutely and you know my my
0: position is that women have to always be on our, our own side so mm-hmm. like who cannot be a feminist like who's not a feminist really yeah if you're on your own side come on now so yeah, yeah thank you for sharing that so tell us what is your favorite feminist text
1: I had to think about this a lot uh, because I don't actually find myself engaging in a lot of feminist literature that like, you know, feminist mystique, Sophia Plath, like that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. um, because I'm a huge fantasy and sci-fi nerd. Mm-hmm. So um, I think Handmaid's Tale is where that those two things sort of collided for me, where, you know, women's place in society yes. examined under like a post-apocalyptic with a sci-fi flavor was definitely touched a lot of... Uh, Raw wounds for me, to say the least. Yes, yes. Handmaid's Tale deserves its,
0: what can I say, like, where it has landed in today's society. Yes. It deserves all the accolades. It deserves all, it deserves that Hulu show. Uh It deserves everything. It is one of the most terrifying and real issues that we need to contend with as women and reproductive rights and justice. Mm -hmm. So, yes. I'm all with you with that one. <laughs> We're going to hop into the book now. Are you ready? I think so. Okay. Yeah. So, spoiler alert. Yeah. Um, we'll be discussing the details of the book. If you haven't read it and you are one to think like, oh, I don't want to hear any details about a book before I've read it, you should stop now, mm-hmm. go read the book, and come back later because we are going to talk about themes and characters and everything in between about this book. So, tell
1: us, what made you choose the book? Well, uh, like I mentioned, I'm a huge fantasy sci-fi nerd, and this book is like hits so many really cool <laughs> points. Mm-hmm. Um, N.K. Jemison lives in Brooklyn. She's a black author mm. in a primarily like white male dominated uh, genre. At least in pop culture. I mean, you could say like Ursula Le Guin and, um, you know, the formative uh, authors of the genre have been female. But regardless, the experience of reading this book was absolutely fantastic and mind-blowing for me. And I really wanted to share it with a lot of people.
0: And I'm glad you did because unlike you, I have no experience the sci-fi mm-hmm. so this book as you will all learn later on was a little bit of a, a challenge for me mm-hmm. a welcome challenge but a challenge nonetheless mm-hmm. um you want to give us a
1: synopsis sure so fifth season is about a sort of post-apocalyptic alternate universe kind of world where you have mass extinction type of events happen very, very frequently, and the community has to figure out how to survive them. So the plot follows three different characters. I'm going to butcher their pronunciations, but Esun Cyanite and Demaya in different situations within this community and how they deal with it. Any particular themes that resonated for you? So many. Okay. So many. Well, one of the biggest things uh, for me was like the idea of like ownership and authorship within their own lives and how they felt very trapped by the system in a lot of ways. One of the uh, components of this book is Originy, where which is basically the ability to control the earth and quell micro shakes and volcanoes and hotspots and stuff like that. And people in this world see it as a sort of, like, if you have that ability, it makes you a lesser subhuman person, essentially. So these uh, three women, Sinai, Damaya, and Essen have this power but feel like their life is basically controlled by it mm-hmm. um, and the, you know, confines of the society that they sort of live in. I personally very I identify with that a lot, one, as a woman and as a person of color, mm-hmm. that, like, my place is very set in a lot of ways, that I'm expected to, you know, traditionally, like, be a good cook or, like, mm-hmm. perform my wifely duties and have children and that kind of thing. Even to extend that to my career overall, it's to, like, make sure that I accommodate for other people's feelings Mm -hmm. and be receptive and kind and nurturing and not step on anyone's toes and not really like be my full confident self because that's what the kind of role is that I'm supposed to play. So that was the most personal one. Other themes that came up were the idea of like institutions in this book, the idea of objectivity and objective truth. Oh, and uh, climate change and how we treat Mother Earth. So uh, to take it from the top, I guess Fulcrum, which is the the biggest institution that we learn about, mm-hmm. um, basically finds these origins as children and or breeds them, gathers them together, and teaches them how to be useful mm-hmm. in the society overall. I mean, I, I brought this up during your discussion, but it, it it was very analogous to slavery, essentially, yes, right? Absolutely. That the resources or the the things that people find useful about other humans and see them as like things to be utilized in a way that's like beneficial to them sort of spoke very closely to how slavery has existed in our uh wonderful modern world someone also mentioned that they sort of saw, saw it as like prison uh, which you know which is like the modern day equivalent right. of institutionalized right. slavery and like how to translate power to uh, in a way that's like Consumable and acceptable, and right. um, as a resource that our society can use. Ultimately,
0: can we like yeah. Can we start with talking about institutions? Yeah. And the ways yeah. in which the fulcrum is, is representative of something. One of the things that I said was that uh-huh. I thought that was it just representative of like a geographic location. Like, is it representative of Washington D.C.? Yeah. Is it more generalist? Uh-huh. Is it representative of capitalism? Mm-hmm. Or it can just be you know a combination of both. But it certainly is about the power structures That be that sets the it literally just sets the path of everyone else who lacks less power than them, yes, right. And so, you know, again, one of the things that we talked about is the way in which sci fi can be used to talk about larger issues in a very Mm -hmm. creative, sort of out of your mind kind Uh of world, and it invites different ideas of what change and revolution could look like and what a different world could possibly look like. And so, yet the the themes remain the same, mm-hmm. so that we can always identify with them and identify them as mm-hmm. such, that we know exactly what she's trying to talk about.
1: Absolutely, I think Jemison also does a really great job of the opposite, where uh, you see things that are sort of familiar, but she poses them in a way that feel very, very different. Right. And with regards to like the fulcrum specifically, I'm trying to fit it in the narrative of like colonialism and capitalism that we have. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't exactly fit. Like it's not like a one to one representation. But I think that's what makes her writing very masterful because like I have that emotional connection and understanding in that book, but I don't necessarily understand all of like what created the fulcrum and um that institution yet for sure. The other thing that I think that that uh, corresponds to is, was we were talking about the idea of beauty as well mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and how we like there's not really a good understanding of what people in this world look like because they're supposed to be a mix of like all different races and have a hair like gray hair happen occur naturally in like young people and. Um, you know, facial features that are all like a mix of everything, right. I think someone mentioned that like it's it's not a easy touchstone for most of us. like right. it's not like we can visualize it in our head very easily, where you we have like a little bit of an emotional connection because she uses words like kinky and ashblown and um words that we generally use to describe hair and skin colors and stuff. Mm-hmm. but there's not enough. Explanation for us to really understand how this world works, or to visualize it, or immerse ourselves completely. So I think she does a really interesting job of like keeping it like strange and different, but still having like, oh, you know, the thing in your life, like right, yeah, you know, capitalism, <laughs> to it. Do right, you see? Like absolutely. yeah, this is
0: where that comes in, absolutely. So, yeah. And I would, the thing about this book also is that she does like a lot of the characters are more along the lines of, of African descent or have mm-hmm. African type of features, which was really, really, for me, exciting to be part yeah. of this world, uh-huh. you know? And that um, race was, again, like I don't know where, how she's going to explain race later on. Uh-huh. I'm not sure like how that that is going to show up. But I don't think that it was the center piece of it. Mm-hmm. I think that there was more of a, a conversation around a caste system mm-hmm, and... Mm-hmm. Um, I think we talk a lot about utility. For me, it's more this idea that you're born in a particular cast. Mm-hmm. And th- the movement between that cast is either impossible frowned upon, mm-hmm. there's just something, right, about mm-hmm. the movement within the caste system, which is very much like here in the United States of America and other parts of the country and the world mm-hmm. where you can do as much as you want to do. You can get as much educated as you want to. The likelihood of you moving out of your class system, your socioeconomic status past mm-hmm. your parents' Are, is so so far and few in between. Mm-hmm. We think that we're gonna do it, but we really don't move that much further mm-hmm. than our parents. And on more and like on sort of on a deeper level, when we do try to transgress particular sort of um, expectations of us, mm-hmm. we often do find ourselves on the emotional fringes of society. Whether that could be, we physically can find ourselves there, but also mm-hmm. m- more so emotionally and psychically banished from mm-hmm. certain aspects of society when we when we did transgress
1: yeah i feel like this caste system is based so i think she makes an interesting point about how it's based on like inherent power mm-hmm. where i think in our world today we're very like you know like everybody's equal and caste systems are sort of like made up in right. a lot of ways so i grew up hindu and uh, in india like the caste system is still very much prevalent and in hinduism they talk about like your caste is sort of related to your position and utility in society, which Mm. is um, how you, you know, get karma points to simplify, you know, all of the ideology and stuff like that. I think it's it's a little disheartening to Mm -hmm. take it from that perspective that the caste that you're born in is sort of, Um, Like it's a part of you, whereas Mm -hmm. I feel like so much of American ideals, uh, idealism specifically, it talks about how caste is not really like a real thing in our socioeconomic community. Right. But in European cultures, which have been around for like much, much longer, caste systems are so... Ingrained in the fabric of society that you know, ascension is not really easy or right. like look like favorably on. Whereas in the states, it's you know we pick ourselves by the bootstraps or whatever, like self-made billionaires. Is marketed
0: that yeah. way, but is that is not the one hundred percent truth? And I'm like, done. I'm so over it. It's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, so over it. Yeah, there was a point in the book where I said, like, are they talking about slavery? Like, is she making a direct correlation to slavery? Because even the word roga, Uh Uh we were talking about how close it is to nigga. Yeah. And that it's it's a derogatory term Mm -hmm. to sort of put people in their place to remind people of their place in society Mm -hmm. along this caste system. But also, there was a point where cyanite and mm-hmm. alabaster began to—they used it as they began to use it for themselves. And I'm not sure mm-hmm. if it was like a sense of empowerment. But also, but I—I I also know that it, I think that part of using it is to like shield yourself away, shield yourself from the power that other people saying it has mm-hmm. a, against you. Mm-hmm. So I'm, you know, I'm—I'm I'm still not sure. Like I personally do not use the word nigga i'm Mm -hmm. not you know i'm not of the right now i'm not of the school where that they Mm -hmm. me i can reclaim a word that i never never Mm -hmm. like i never owned it like Uh you know i don't know about that Uh um and i may change Uh in the next five minutes who knows yeah but i so i can't read their their reclamation of it or their use of it as empowering and and you probably know more because you you know all about this book and I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I know all about this sci-fi thing and i don't um but i think like the fact that she even created that that word yeah. in this new world that she created uh-huh. um really also again signifies it indicates that this is uh this is about a larger yeah. system that was at play
1: absolutely and i think in a similar way the word roga has like uh, is a representation of all of the people, all of the circumstances, and everything that have beaten down, you know, Damaya and Cyanite and their respective stories right. and right. kept them in their place and controlled them, mm-hmm. um, in a similar way to the n word, right? right? Like, um, a slur, it's a it has power because of its history, right. and I think the same thing applies to Roga ultimately, right? I don't know that, like. They have necessarily fully embraced the empowerment that it comes with, essentially. But I think he or Alabaster has used it to make a point of Mm -hmm. like, isn't right that we're being treated as subhumans so much of the time. And this is a representation of exactly how, as opposed to using it to refer to each other as rogas ultimately. Right. There is a book two and book three. Yeah. (laughs) To give us all that history.
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) all that history.
0: Can I can I share something that resonated with me? Absolutely. All right. So like I said, I am not accustomed to reading sci-fi. Mm-hmm. And I, at one point, wanted to give up. But I didn't give up because mm-hmm. I felt like all the people in my life who I respect really love this book. And not only that, it won award after mm-hmm. award after award. So something is happening here. Mm-hmm. It's not just like, you mm-hmm. know. And I also feel like, you know, reading this type of book I it, it's it's it forces your mind and brain to work in a particular way mm-hmm. um, that my mind and brain is just not necessarily sort mm-hmm. of wired to do so. So I felt like it was good, but I would tell you I really did struggle uh-huh. because I did I the, the, it took her a long time to build the the world mm-hmm. and I struggled with that. Uh-huh. I also struggled because I had no friggin' idea that there's a glossary, folks. If you're gonna read this book. Hit that glossary up right away. <laughs> Don't wait. Because I literally had no idea there was a glossary. Uh-huh. So what if you could give us any advice for uh, the folks like who are new to sci-fi, yeah. what advice would you give us?
1: That's a really good question. Um, honestly, I feel like reading fantasy and sci-fi for me is really helpful because it places things like institutions that we're very familiar with in a sort of vacuum because so for example if we talk about like the Black Lives Matter movement here it's mm-hmm. so emotionally charged right like it's people that I know like have, that have faces to them um, it's people that I've interacted with it's in the news it's everywhere in mm-hmm. a way that I think has so much emotionality to it that it's like it's difficult to See its place in the world without all of that emotionality. And mm-hmm. that's why I like sci fi fantasy is very interesting to me because I can examine it in a way that removes that immediate personal um, connection so that I can look at it in a way that shows me its place in society. Mm-hmm. As for advice to uh, new readers <laughs> of sci-fi and fantasy, mm-hmm. I'd say take some time to first read the glossary, but two, also take some time to, like, digest it. I think, yeah. like, we had a shortened timeline, obviously, of, like, reading this 500-page novel in, like, a month. Mm-hmm. Um and I'm very familiar with fantasy, so it it went really quickly for me. But enjoy, maybe uh, start off with like a suspension of disbelief kind of thing where you're like, I know that this is not real. I know that this is all made up, but I'm going to enjoy the ride anyway. Right, and I think that right. sort of helps you immerse yourself in the world a little bit more easily. Right. It's yeah. interesting that
0: you said that because my friend Elizabeth Rossi said, mm-hmm. the only way that I was able to get through this book is that I just release what I thought to be true mm. and allow her to rebuild what is true oh, I and know. I was like oh okay girl but the glass we still also helped me because I didn't even yes. know if some of these words were real yeah. <laughs> yeah. so I just want to start yeah. there y'all because yeah. before you like just know that it doesn't It's not a it's not a quick read, right? Like it's a it's not a quick read on many levels, especially if you're new to this, Uh this type of writing and the world building is really important. And you've got to get very familiar with the terms because Mm -hmm. otherwise you don't really understand those those details that she is so skillfully weaving in and out Mm -hmm. of this story. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, another thing that resonated with me and I'm going to build off of your your handmaid's tale is that. There is a in, there's an aspect of this book that is about women reproducing uh-huh. and like their sole purpose, yeah, and within this caste system, yeah, is to reproduce and that's what cyanite is there for and she's uh-huh. there to reproduce and I literally wrote in my notes, wow, uh-huh. Hairmaid's tale. Not to say that N.K. Jameson needed that reference yeah. or is yeah, actually yeah, like yeah. intentionally using that reference, but I did.
1: I it sort of hearkened to that yeah. storyline as well. I mean, I, I definitely identified with um, Cyanide. Well, I saw the parallels between Cyanide's story mm-hmm. about how she, you know, is expected to reproduce with Alabaster and Handmaid's Tale. But I think it's a little bit f- more nuanced of a conversation there, where it's not just that like women are only for reproduction; it's that they're they're deserving of love as far as their ability to be useful goes, right? And that for, like, you know, majority of them is to be breeders, uh, especially if they don't have originy to be useful to the society overall. And I feel like that's what Handmaid's Tale sort of arrives at, that, like, they're so subhuman that they're literally just resources to reproduce, ultimately. But I think it's a little bit broader in fifth season where women uh, are also like leaders and have positions of power and are able to um, take on more professions than just uh, childbearing. But the expectation on them is very much that you have to like bear a child a lot of the time. Well, again, I'm going to connect it back again to your
0: rightful connection to slavery Mm -hmm. because I always say that black women's bodies was our first Mm -hmm. sort of conveyor belt in that... Yeah. Black women were continuously bred mm-hmm. so that more it can be more hands on the field all the time. And so mm-hmm. that was like not like there were other women taking on other sort of positions in society. Mm-hmm. But this was your role. Mm-hmm. This is your purpose. And so I felt connected to that storyline through the transatlantic slave trade, but also through mm-hmm. like the Handmaid's Town, like weaving all this stuff together. And I'm mm-hmm. quite sure that N.K. Jamieson was probably falling oh, probably absolutely. along the line of transatlantic yeah. slave trade. There's a continuing story here because yeah. there are still places in, in, in the global world where the woman's role is to continue to just reproduce mm-hmm. for the sake of society at mm-hmm.
1: large, but more sort of intimately for that whatever... Community, a group, they're part of. Um, When I was 18, my grandparents were like, oh, you're an adult now. It's time to look for a boy for you. (laughs) So I personally understand that Mm -hmm. put in your place kind of expectation Mm -hmm. do we want to talk about the fact that like all three of them are like the same women and the the different phases in each of their lives and how they evolved
0: so that's definitely
1: a huge spoiler alert y'all Because
0: (laughs) guess who didn't know that (laughs) me because I didn't get through the whole book. I didn't get through the whole book, but I got through enough to get the texture and the feeling of it. Mm-hmm. I did not know and had no clues whatsoever that this was the same person. And when everybody in the group was like, oh, yeah, I had clues, I'm like, am I uh-uh. not? <laughs> Am I that dense? Like no. And I, possibly because I'm new to this whole thing and I was just trying to keep my head above
1: water. And <laughs> 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 I can't make attention to those little details. Thank you, Joe, for being so passionate for <laughs> <towards> me. <laughs> I mean, I read this book a while ago and then I reread it for our discussions, which is why I picked up on the clues this time around. But the first time I was very much in the same place where I was trying to figure out what the heck is going mm-hmm. on, first of all, before jumping into like, oh my my God, like these mysteries are coming up time and again. I find that really fascinating because there's I don't think I've read a lot of books that talk about women um, across different phases of their lives Mm -hmm, in a mm -hmm. way that's like so masterful and so much about exploring the extent of their identities within that space in a way that is just it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, Weirdly enough, I think another book that does it really well is um, the one by Michael Cunningham, Mrs. Dalloway. I don't know Mm -hmm. if you've read that, but um, I don't know if I would call it a feminist book necessarily, but Mm -hmm. it's a tale of like three different women across different genres and eras Mm -hmm. and um, how they deal with their society and the men in their lives and all of that kind of stuff. And I think this similarly does a very, very excellent job of exploring the mindset of, like, women of three different ages, or children, for that matter, and how the same institutions uh, affect and impact their lives. And as a 20-something-year-old, I only have experience up until, you know, personal experience up until, like, however old I am. I don't necessarily understand what people in their 30s and 40s and 50s sort of deal with. So I think seeing that all tied together was a very cool experience. I totally. am so yeah. looking forward to
0: it because yeah. even as I'm recounting it right now yeah. in my head, I'm like I still don't know. I don't know if I've come across any clues that these are all the same people. <laughs> so that's definitely a big spoiler <laughs> alert, folks. Really big. The other thing that for me that was really interesting is the relationship between Shaf- Shafa and Demiah. Mm-hmm. And I remember getting to the point where he crushed her hand and the way in which he did it uh. calm with ease and almost probably with a fucking smirk or a smile on his yeah. face. I literally picked up my phone and had to text my friend Elizabeth Rossi. <laughs> Y'all, she, she loved this book. And part of the reason why I got through, I want to really get through this book is because I respect her and, and I, I want to see what she loves so much about it. And mm-hmm. now I do, but that was really disturbing to me. Mm-hmm. It was really disturbing
1: and it was
0: oh, it hurts. Yeah, yeah.
1: I think um it's it's very interesting because Demaya is completely rejected by her parents, right. by her family, by people who are supposed to love her and be there for her. and the only figure of parental guidance that she sees in this book is like this twisted version of love supposedly when they talk about um, raising girls specifically mm-hmm. there's so much conversation around like oh girls are supposed to like look pretty and play right. with dolls and right. like be this particular kind of thing and if they're you know tomboyish or wild or whatever it is they're told to be lesser than themselves or like hurt or maybe not you know have their hand crushed in necessarily the same way but they're diminished right. um, in spirit I think similarly right. Um and I, I, I mean, I feel like every girl I know has experienced that somehow. Yeah. And it's painful because seeing, like, I, I think we as a society place so much uh, or, like, we see physical abuse and we're, like, oh, my God, like, that's horrifying. Right. But the emotional abuse part, we're so much... We kind of dismiss it right. so much of the time. Right. And Shafa, like, both of those are very intertwined. Like, that is physical abuse. Yes. Correlated with, like, emotional abuse because he's, like, you can never say no to me, for example. Right. Like, that's not a healthy, you know, um, dynamic in any stretch of imagination. Right.
0: And also, like, he... Just like a a typical textbook abuser Mm -hmm. who starts off with almost like I'm a savior. I'm Mm going to save you from what's Mm -hmm. happening with you here in your family. And then I'm going to make you feel like you are really important to me. Like, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I am here to protect you. I'm here to love you. I'm here to support Mm -hmm. you. And then I'm going to I need to also put you in your place so you know where you stand. And so you crush that person's spirit. And then again you circle back around and say, mm-hmm. But you know what? I saved you. I'm the person that loves you. I'm the person that's gonna support you. It is like typical abuse cycle. One oh one. Like there's nothing he doesn't deviate from the you know, so from the script at all. I have a sensitive part in my spirit for that. My organizing work began with survivors of domestic violence mm-hmm. and When you listen to the story, the story is always the same. Mm -hmm. They come from a bad most of the folks that I worked with came from a bad household Mm -hmm. and were young and impressionable. Mm -hmm. And this person made them feel so beautiful and just so like, I get you. That's the thing with with Shafa. He -hmm. gets her. He Mm -hmm. does understand her. And when she and feeling like you're an outcast, that's all Mm -hmm. you want. You want to be understood. You want to be gotten, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And He preys upon that. Mm -hmm. And it's, I was not happy when I picked up that phone to
1: text. (laughs) I was like, this is problematic. (laughs) Well. I mean, he does get his. um, He gets his just due. He gets his just due. Definitely by the end of the book, to a certain degree.
0: There we go. There we go. There we go. Yeah. As we think about wrapping up, Mm -hmm. any big moments with the book?
1: I want to say this, but I know you haven't finished it. It's okay. Man. It was, okay. We had like big bombshells throughout the yeah, whole book club, okay. so it's fine. Um Cyanite has a baby with Alabaster, right? His name is Corundum, and he's like a super powerful origin, and then they are living on this island off the coast where no one can find them, and people presume that they're dead. But three years after they land on this island, like someone finds them and alabaster forces cyanide to promise that like they won't get their hand the guardians won't get their hands on their baby Mm -hmm. so in the fight that ensues uh cyanide kills her own kid the beloved that's beloved from tony morrison
0: and you know what Uh (laughs) i was thinking that Uh earlier in the book club but i didn't want to say anything Uh i said to myself just like in, because I was thinking about Jija uh-huh. killing ushe yeah, and like, and was it a mercy kill, right? Like, because if if mm-hmm. he doesn't kill him, somebody's gonna kill him, right? Mm-hmm. And I said to myself, like, that is so similar to Beloved, uh-huh. where the main character in Beloved kills her her kills her daughter because she refuses to allow her daughter to become a slave. Oh my god,
1: well that's horrifying, but understandable. Like it's it comes from a place of love but it's horrifying it's a twisted love so she kills yeah. him yeah so she kills him and <gasps> that's the third baby yeah oh my god <laughs> yeah <laughs> Oh God, yeah. right. oh. I know so it it it's just it's so interesting to see that like this baby Damaya who like had so much hope and like just wanted acceptance grew up into this like ruthless or have this twisted understanding of love um that resulted in the cycle of like she literally murders her own kid in order right. to you know escape from this prison essentially but it makes me feel so sorry for her right um that she had to go through so much shit, right? And she's still like, you know, suffering and suffering right. and suffering right. day in and day out, and suffering yeah.
0: loss of her own children. Yeah, because one she kills one, the husband kills the other, and mm-hmm. the 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 young girl is somewhere out in the ether, and she she's trying to find that person with her father's but you killer. Know, the killer. other thing about you know, this is something for me to sit with definitely mm-hmm. as I'm gonna as I finish the book, is that this idea that. um you know there were slaves who threw themselves into the to mm-hmm. the ocean who said I'd rather die in the ocean than become a slave mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. and on some so many people thought that, that was courageous and like mm-hmm. that is the way to be I'd rather mm-hmm. die than live this 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 sort of reality uh-huh. and then other folks feel like no you fight and you resist until the end and so there's courage and there's um there's meaning in both right and. I think with Cyanite and Damaya and Esan mm-hmm. eventually, it's complicated because she's becoming this person as a result. Mm-hmm. Is, is she making a conscious choice to become this person or is she responding, both and, right? She's mm-hmm. responding to, to her environment and making a conscious decision. Any internal shifts as a result of this
1: book? Very happy to be living in the world that I do, to be honest. <laughs> um, it was very valuable to... See into the mind of someone who's so traumatized mm-hmm. and is still such a fighter, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the amount of power that she has. So, I think in my own understanding of myself, I feel like I'm, I feel powerless a lot of the time where. Mm-hmm. I'm I feel like I'm subject to the institutions that are you know big and nameless and faceless and force me to do things that I don't necessarily want to but Mm -hmm. I feel like I have this voice inside me similarly that's like this is not right this doesn't feel right right and I I think it. Helped me come to the conclusion that I can quit my job. You know, I don't have to be subject to corporate America's ideas of how life should be ultimately and felt much more empowered as a person that like shit can be going on constantly. Right. And I still have enough power within me Mm -hmm. to change the world. Yeah, you do.
0: Um, for me, I um, am constantly thinking about the the relationship between Alabasta and Cyanite, mm-hmm. and how that was really, like, that's a pivotal relationship yeah. of opening and challenging of what she thought to be new in the world and mm-hmm. him saying, like, wake up. Yeah. And I think that we all have that type of relationship where the person is with you, they, mm-hmm. they care so much about you, but also they just care about the direction that the world is going mm-hmm. and that in order for that world to continue to move in that direction, everybody has to be woken up. Wake up. Question. Mm -hmm. Like, when she's like, oh, there's only this amount of tablets, and he's like, are you serious? Do you Mm -hmm. really think that there's only that amount of tablets? And like, helping her to become more of a critical thinker. Mm -hmm. Um, And Mm -hmm. so, that to me in my own internal shift of, sometimes I may feel like I'm being a broken record or I'm being the person that's always the Debbie Downer at the party when I'm like, oh actually that's homophobic you know <laughs> but I think that we all have to play that role because the world has to evolve we have to move to the next level and the only way we're gonna get there if people are woken up. So mm-hmm. an internal shift but probably just like an affirmation of um, mm-hmm. what what I need who I need to continue to be on some levels in this world.
1: That's awesome! Yeah, I love this book. Me too. Oh well, yeah. I
0: from, from the amount of pages that I've read, <laughs> I love it, yeah. and I love it even more because it is not an easy read, uh-huh. and you know, it's not. It shouldn't be an easy read. Uh-huh. I'm what I want to grow, and sh- and she's helping me to grow. So oh. part of my part of my connection to it is that I'm being challenged, and I feel like I'm gonna become a better person as a result of this. I'm gonna be smarter once I get through this book. So Heck thank yeah. you to you and to NK Jameson for writing this book folks that's the end of our podcast thank you for joining us and our next book for next month the final book of the year we wanted it to be something that was queer and you said that you wanted it to be um magical realism right Like yeah, you yeah, want to yeah. end on a high note and so we are reading her body and other parts by Carmen Marie Machado Please subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, wherever you get your podcasts from. Please rate us. Give us a five. If you have feedback, send us an email at info at CafeConLibrosBK.com. And then follow us on social media, CafeConLibros underscore BK on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thank you so much for joining us. Shout out to Claire, our producer. And we look forward to seeing you next month.